So, here's a question for you. Who? Ooh, we're going in hard. Would okay. you? Right. Yes. No pleasantries. I'll find out how you are later. <laughs> uh, who do you think is the greatest British athlete of all time? Now, I apologise to our international listeners, but he could arguably be the greatest athlete of all time. But oh, greatest hang on, British you said he, Hang on, you said he. Oh, yes, it's oh. a he. It's a he. Male, okay. male. Oh. Greatest male athlete of all time. Because I actually also okay. know the answer to the female. So, uh, <laughs> wow, gosh, you've just thrown that at me. And it, it's still fairly early in the morning and I'm still... Okay. Um, wow. British. It, but I'm imagining it's because the obvious answer I should say, well, it's probably Andy Murray because it's oh, his tennis. Oh, Andy. And, and so you've posed the question, but then I'm thinking, well, no, that's too obvious. And then I'm thinking, what do they base it on? Do they base it on, is it like a Steve Redgrave? Do they base it on like Olympic achievement and, you know, put your medals on the table? Is it, uh, oh, I was going into the women again. I've got to stay with the men. Um, from any, is it, what do you call is is a racing driver is Lewis Hamilton an athlete? He is an athlete, yes. What I would, an athlete? what I would uh, okay, I could clarify. Greatest... This could be the whole podcast. This <laughs> this list and we still wouldn't have a <laughs> the greatest okay. male all-around athlete. Who's been all-around all-around as in he was very good at multiple sports. Oh god. Really? As in he had a career in multiple sports. Yes. Had a lifetime of it. And he won and he won medals. Medals? Did he win medals? Uh well, we'll see. Who are you, who are you saying? And oh, I can be you're not going to get it right. What? It's fine. I I can also give you a sort of a no. decade. <laughs> he was He oh, was God. I I tell you what, this is I, He yeah, was doing okay, this in on. the 20s. 100 years ago. Oh. <laughs> it's not helping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That doesn't okay. help. How does? How old do you yeah, think but, I am? That doesn't just help. Just listen to the right, achievements, though. Right. Among okay, right. Among achievement. his achievements were winning an Olympic yep. gold and silver in tennis at the nineteen twenty Summer Olympics. I knew tennis was involved, right? He also won the doubles at Wimbledon. Right. He compiled a one hundred forty-seven break in snooker. What? What do you mean, what? What? <laughs> Okay. What are you on. saying? What? I don't know. Okay. Right. Next, next <laughs> he achievement. Made, he made a century at Lords. What? That's cricket for our American listeners. Uh, he captained the British Davis Cup team. Right. He also captained Man City. What? To be runners up in the no, hang on a football league championships, <laughs> and he captained the England national football team. That's quite my impressive. Fir- my first question would be: How did they find time to do all this? Well, oh yes, and also his name is, <laughs> let's give him a name, his name is Max Woosnam and he is, yeah, um, he's sometimes referred to as the greatest greatest British sportsman uh, in recognition of his achievements. But we were, we were had, having this conversation the other day and we were looking it up. Actually, I've known a long time about Max Woosnam because of his history at Wimbledon, but it is pretty incredible. And then to top it all off, this is just like a side note on his what, Wikipedia more? page. Okay. A side note. He once defeated the actor and film director Charlie Chaplin at table tennis, playing with a butter knife instead of a bat. What? <laughs> That's all I've said, isn't it? <laughs> now, weirdly and randomly, I knew that Charlie Chaplin was good at table tennis. I yes, don't know how I knew but that, Max but beat I, him I with that. a butter knife. Max how beat did him with Max, a butter knife. No, hang on. How did Max find the type? Most of these things he's done, someone spends their whole life trying to achieve just the one thing. Whether it's yes. the break in snooker, the, the, the century 
at Lords or wherever, etc., etc. How on earth did he fit this all in? Does that say how he managed it? I mean, he was a pioneer for table tennis. He was very accomplished at snooker. Uh, and the the break of one four seven that is the maximum. You can't do any better than that. That's no, just no, that's yeah. just called winning, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, wow. I mean, what a legend Max Wiesnum is. Gold and silver medals in tennis. Um, England football captain. Uh, the works. So to be honest, wouldn't he have been annoying if he had been like your classmate <laughs> at school? Like my, have been annoying. Uh, I reckon it would have been really cool. But the, no, but annoying. Like the twins are doing their first cross country run today. It's not really cross country. They're running once around a big field. But there's three schools and they're all getting quite excited. Imagine if you had Max in your little bunch of seven and eight year olds. He'd just win, wouldn't he? And then you'd say, Oh, yeah. let's go and play football. Max would score. Or save a goal. And then you say, oh, let's go and do this. Pass it to Max. Max. Yeah, pass <laughs> it to, to be Max. one of those, wouldn't it? Just get it to and Max. I should also say yeah. that um, many, much of this before the 20s was interrupted because he was fighting in the, the First World War. Of course um, he was. And before the First World War, he was at Cambridge University. So. Of course he was. Oh, oh, it's, oh, sorry, I missed one out. He's a scratch golfer. Jane, what? <laughs> <laughs> so he managed so... to fit in a war, a degree... And sporting achievements in his lifetime that most people only dream of achieving in one sport. Yeah, he sort of just completed sport, didn't he? Just whatever he tried. I mean, who knows? I mean, just and all Cambridge. These... And oh, he I mean, yeah, served amazing. his country. I mean, that's that's. I mean, it's incredible, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but come on. I mean, he like beat. I mean, and, and you know about Charlie Chaplin's history in table tennis. He beat Charlie Chaplin with a butter knife. I mean, come on. Do you, I think, okay, I think your, you, your, your, you saying that he was annoying is probably correct. Him just going, oh, I'll play with a butter knife. Okay, so a question <laughs> to you. Of all of those, I think I might know the answer. What do you think was Max's greatest achievement? Oh, his greatest achievement? Yeah. Ooh, okay, well, I think was... beating Charlie Chaplin with yeah, a butter knife. Who can play table with a butter knife? I knew, I knew you were going to say big, that. <laughs> how big were butter knives in the 20s? Were they like probably, pallets or something? They're probably <laughs> the same size as they are now because I don't think I butter's changed. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> oh, it's so ridiculous. Anyway, he is... That uh, is incredible. He's, uh, he's a hero of our our, our families. And uh, I won't get into it now, but the, uh, the best female... Oh, yes. Uh, Come on. Oh, well, maybe I should get into it. Come uh, on, we need, we need the best. We've had, the best we've had female the best, yeah. uh, athlete, I think, <laughs> was uh, Lottie Dodd, who was a Wimbledon champion uh, among yeah. many of her other uh, achievements. So, But she, she yeah, didn't she very beat good. Charlie Chaplin at table tennis with a butter knife or anyone else. She didn't, but uh, the Guinness Book of Records did name her as the most versatile female athlete of all time. Oh, Really? Well, I I feel what you know. I feel we've 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 educated people. I don't think we very often in our pod educate people. We educated me um, about Max. I think that's Max is great. Honestly, I love it. I actually might pop down to the Wimbledon Museum because I don't live too far away and uh, do some research on Max. Learn more about him because it is pretty cool. There's a book as well on him called The All Round Genius, which I think is an understatement to be honest. But there you go. What a legend! Go on, Max. He died in uh, 1965. I'm genuinely, st- I sort of, I don't know about you, but, you know, with children and work, I kind of look day to day and think, how am I going to fit? So we decided to record this pod quite last minute because you're off to do work on a Strava soon. Not in a Strava, but you're heading off to do that. Yes. And so you were like, are you free now? And I had a couple of things to do. And I was like, oh, and so I was rushing around like a crazy person trying to get it done to come back to speak to you. And there's Max doing, like, I, I find Max. it hard enough to fit everything in 
to a day and and there's do you max think, right i'm i'm oh. so obsessed with this butter knife thing do you think Apparently that so. uh roger Should Federer try at his yes. peak <laughs> could have just sort of played with some sort of item of cutlery <laughs> or yes. just something stupid like i'm just going to play with a plank of wood and he still would beat loads of people probably i, I think know. he well i think i think that's the aura around federer isn't it? it the aura around federer is that he could do anything and so therefore he could probably use a butter knife to play table tennis. I think we should... Uh, I don't have a table tennis table nearby. I think we should try it at some point and just... Maybe it's quite easy to play table tennis with a butter knife. Oh, well, okay. You must be good. What you, <laughs> it's, I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about there. I, I did, it, I did, say, I did like say maybe. a knife is a lot maybe. smaller than a bat. But if you've got... So you've got pretty good hand-eye coordination to have had the career you've had, right? So I imagine you might... You might be okay. I think I'd be worse at it. I think you'd be okay at it. Um, I don't know. I think table tennis is hard enough as it is. To be honest, the bats are really small. I'm used to a much bigger bat. Oh, okay. We've got, next time we meet, we've got to play table tennis. This is okay. Not with a butter knife. I just want to say that. We're not doing that. But that is... Okay. Well, there we go. Fine. That's uh, You know what? I'm Definitely today, I'm going to tell someone about Max. I don't oh, think they'll oh, be. Can I, can I give you just one more, one more little, little nugget? Oh, not. Uh, Woosnam was selected to captain the British football team at the Olympics because back then it was they competed as Britain, uh, but he refused because he was already committed to being the Davis Cup tennis captain on the tennis team. So there we go. Can you imagine them saying, <laughs> "So um, I don't know, Harry Kane, for instance." So. Harry, do you want to be captain of the Davis Cup tennis team or do you want to captain, as we are now, England to the Qatar World Cup? Well, yeah. Sorry, I can't be in, you know, Milan or wherever for the finals. Not that Great Britain are there. But I'm going to, I'm going to Doha for the World Cup. It just, it just wouldn't happen. That is, that is yeah. extraordinary. That All is... of this sort of like Rafa and Andy could have been footballers if they'd wanted to, but they had to stick to tennis. Do both. Come on, you're lazy. Yeah, Max did it and he got a degree and he served his country and he beat Charlie Chaplin with a butter knife. So there you go. That is a that is our that is our fascinating fact of the day. In um in the tennis world, it's been it's just been going along, hasn't it? Again, a bit well, like the thing week. is, is that everybody pales in comparison to Max, and so now everything's just rubbish. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, right. Come okay, on, so saying? we'll so we'll speak next week. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I know. It's He's been, my hero. I love it. It's it's been really good to speak to you. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, away from Max and in the tennis yes. world, we have we have a Nick Kyrgios who we were all convinced when he went back home, season was over, and then we started to see draw lists and entries into tournaments and his name in in Tokyo and on and on and on and he's he's continuing I read some fact today that he's got well this is the most number of tournaments he's played in a long while but also I think in Tokyo through to something like a ninth something quarter final or something of, of the year I mean he has knuckled down and he's he's getting the results a bit weird isn't it it's quite unsettling <laughs> I don't know I think <laughs> It, it's been a very strange year when it comes to Nick Kyrgios. It's been a fabulous year to watch and one that we've all been waiting for. But um, yeah, I'm amazed that he wants to keep it going, that he he's just sort of like, yeah, this is me now. I've got people that I don't want to let down and, and all this sort of stuff. I mean, he was never talking like this before. And he's also achieved a huge amount. So he could very easily, he's earned millions of dollars this year. He could very easily just go, yeah, thanks. That's enough for me. I had a hard year and now I'm going to go and live my life. 
carry on with his foundation. He can set up whatever businesses that he wants with that sort of capital. But he is saying, no, I want more. And um, I could totally understand him playing the Australian Open it's just around the corner he's in good form why not keep it going to then um but then to get back on the road go out to the states after that it sounds like that's what he's going to be doing I still um, I'm just very surprised I'm very surprised. well are you surprised it, well yes and no I've a confirmation it's the 13th tournament of his season and he's reached at least the quarterfinal in nine of them, which is incredible. I'm surprised I'm not surprised. He, he's got a taste for winning because we've always talked in the past about he was afraid to lose. So when things started not going his way, it would go horribly wrong. And I think partly we have to look, Kyrgios is very much what's happening off field, off court, and he's very settled in his relationship with a partner who is happy to travel with him. And I think that is important for him to have that very solid base we saw I know his mother hasn't been well but she would travel with him a lot his brother used to travel with him a lot he's now has his girlfriend who is very committed to being by his side which I think is very important and he's got a taste for winning you know won the doubles you're strange over he's a grand slam champion fun. and then it's it that is fun you see that I, I wouldn't know what that's like it's at fun. any level yeah because I imagine right you get that taste whatever level it is you, you win and and you want to keep it going and you want you don't want that feeling to stop right yeah, and I know I can I can understand it. I just think that one of the most challenging things and why we rave about the the top players that we have and why they are so much better than everybody else is about really just sustaining it for a long period of time. It's hard to just keep keep it up like, you know, 6 months or whatever. I know we're going to talk about um the some of the the female players as well, but you can see they have moments where it all comes together. And um, and they sort of get it going, but it's really difficult because stuff happens, knocks to your confidence. It could be illness, injury, whatever. Very, very difficult to keep that motivation high, um, and it has to be managed um, really well. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, sort of bizarre. I can't quite figure it out. I must say um, that he's still got. I mean, he's great. I don't want him to stop at all. But I just really assumed that this was just sort of a big burst of activity because you know this doesn't just start in Australia for him at the beginning of this year. It would have been the off-season going into it. So, you know, you're already looking at a year, and if he's going to carry on, it's it's a long time to be pushing at that level. But as you say, you know, he really does have that support around him and travelling with him and that consistency, the stability that I think he's he's needed as well, which he's deliberately not had, I think, but to have that stability um, is really helping as well. So, I mean, look, let's let's see how long it goes, but I'm sort of in the camp of let's enjoy it while it's happening because I don't think it's going to happen for that long. And can we just remember he still doesn't have a coach? That I, I, I don't know whether he consults people on the quiet or talks to people and he's dabbled in the past, but he's pretty much doing this. He, he has a team, he has a fitness people, and that's what you really need with his body, didn't he? He needed the fitness, he needed, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a full... He doesn't have a full-time coach. He's just he's just decided that this is the time to knuckle down and maybe see what's in there and what he can achieve. And he's look, he's been on the cusp of a Grand Slam title in singles. He's won it in doubles. So now now he knows, even if he talked the talk, he now knows it's real and it's possible. And with the way the game is at the moment, the kind of changing of the guard and, and those coming up and those faltering a little bit and those laying down their rackets, you know, now's the time to strike this is I think this is a really good time for Nick Kyrgios to try and go for it yeah I think for sure it's um it's all about timing for him really but it does work out 
with timing of, of other people as well. I mean, it would have been much tougher over the past six, seven years than it, than it is right now. That's, that's, that's just how it is. It's not to say that it's easy. Of course it's not, but it is just that little bit more open. I mean, we feel it just with the commentary that we do. We used to be, um, Garrett, in terms of the time, the length of time that we do with commentary, because it's not like a football match where, you know you're doing the 90 minutes plus half time plus build up and wrap and whatever so you're there for a few hours this is you know you're doing a few matches if you do three matches well that could be three or <laughs> three or four hours or it could be 10 like it's just you just have no idea and so we definitely feel the difference of not having the federal one on ones coming in on a daily basis and we're talking about regular ATP tour tournaments week in week out those quick matches they're done in 45 minutes an hour there's always one of them on the schedule now there's barely any of them I mean the Monte Carlo quarterfinal day oh my god it was epic all four matches were well over three hours long it was insane it never happened in the history of the tournament but we feel it that every match is so open you know every match you know between obviously you know the top 10 top 20 one player could be playing well could be playing poorly and of course you get some quicker matches but you don't have the sort of ah, we know fed's going to rock up and win this one one-on-one -on -one. we know that nadal because nadal isn't at the level that he was and also nadal takes ages <laughs> to win two and two he can take two hours to do that so um so uh yeah so we feel it just in the amount of tennis that that we're seeing i think and that we're watching and from earlier stages and seeing these big players go out as well. So, yeah, it's a little more open for sure. And um, I don't know. Could he win yeah, the Australian Open? Yeah. Possibly. I mean, we're still not con we're not confirmed whether Djokovic is going to be there yet, are we? We don't, haven't had any confirmation whether he's allowed to go. My gut will be he'll he'll be there. Um, I, I, I haven't heard anything. I don't know anything. But I just think everyone kind of wants to smooth this over and move forward. And there's a new... A new government in charge in Australia and I can see I can see him being there but again I haven't I haven't heard anything but but you're right if, if Djokovic is there he is the favorite um we've seen how he's been playing obviously he couldn't be in the US Open but he's been back now and in Tel Aviv he's moved on from there you know he's he's looking great he's looking really really good and he's going to be the person to be you know Medvedev's been up and down and sideways and upside down and I don't really know what's going on there and and Kasparud is kind of up and down and losing and, and going forward and Alcaraz you know they, they've got a lot Rude and Alcaraz have got a lot to adjust to in terms of life-changing position demands etc so there's a lot of moving and, and shuffling and bits and pieces going on so I think Djokovic for me is the player to beat at the moment still and and Kyrgios I think this is a a great time to make hay while the sun shines I think quite honestly with how he's playing the only issues for him in a slam would be Djokovic and Nadal but he could draw them fairly early obviously not first round or anything but it's not like he's ranked number three in the world so he could draw them quite early on um, potentially at the beginning of the second week and that could be an issue for him um, but in terms of the level that he's playing I don't think he's bothered about anybody else at all Um that that could be really difficult. I think, to be honest, even Rafa at the Australian Open is obviously going to be very difficult. I wouldn't say that, oh, Kyrgios is the favourite, but with the Australian crowd behind him, you know, he'd be at home feeling very good. You're going to see the best of Nick Kyrgios, and the best of Nick Kyrgios tends to beat Rafa. That's sort of how it goes. Um, I'm not sure about Djokovic. What I found so interesting, like rewinding all the way back to the Wimbledon final, was how... Um, into himself Kyrgios went in that final I found it quite interesting like I 
I'm, I'm plucking this out of thin air, but I think he didn't hit one underarm serve in the final or do anything at all. He just sort of played and got beaten. I think he realised, maybe he realised the enormity of the occasion, the, the life-changing situation of the it, occasion. Yeah, what else could, it, what that else could it be? The reason he's these guys, but the reason that he's beaten these guys and the reason he has such a good record over them is because he is unexpected, is because he will make those decisions that no one else will. He has audacity on the court and so many players walk on court against Djokovic and they do not have the audacity to do anything. They just roll over and it did... Um, the occasion maybe got to him a little bit, yeah. I think. Um, well, come on, he said the tournament, he was just getting more and more like that, and it and I, and as he was sort of losing, it was like, well, you just you might as well just do whatever now. Like you, you're not going to win like this. He's outplaying you, so you've just got to do something different. But, but he never did. He just took the loss. But he said, hasn't he? And he said it in the U.S. Open. If if I win this, I'm going to retire. And normally you might be like, ha, 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 ha. But he might be serious. He might know that he's won. Oh, so do you think it was sabotage because he deep down doesn't want well, to No, I, I, I think it's all the pressure of, of that's the pressure. It's not just of just life changing and being able to look a lot of critics and doubt and say, see, I've done this. But that could have been the last match he ever played because maybe he will do the ultimate mic drop, win a Grand Slam and, and walk away. And so that's, that's a lot of pressure in itself. I think it's it, none of us can possibly know the pressure of, of walking out a Grand Slam final and what that means and it being at Wimbledon and it's it's a different beast isn't it it's it's a different it's a different beast that that level that platform that day that moment that match that everything and I I think yeah I think it I think it it got to him and you stand in the little holding room in the clubhouse next to the trophies and you've got the names on the board and you'd see to your left, it says Djokovic, 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 Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see him standing there. Uh, yeah, you know, all of that, you know, there's so much sort of pomp and ceremony that goes on, on around finals. It's very, very different. It has a totally different feel. Everyone's yeah. left. There's no one there anymore. Um, so, yeah, it, I don't know. I just hope that we get to see the best of Nick at uh, the Australian Open because that would be really cool and he genuinely could win the thing. I think as long as things stay on a level in his personal life, I think I think we will. It's just such a big thing. And look, it affects all of us in our jobs. If things in the personal life aren't right, it will affect you in everyday life. But with him more than most, that's a really big anchor for him. And at the moment, that anchor is down and it's good and it's settled and everything in the garden is rosy. And and I think if it if it continues on like that and, and he gets the, the preseason and he goes into Australia, then he's going to be one of those names we talk about in terms of winning the title. So we're obviously focusing on Nick's tennis and his personal life is absolutely linked to that. But we haven't obviously mentioned the fact that he does have some legal issues to that he's currently working through or that his team of lawyers are working through. He's got accusations from his ex-girlfriend. It doesn't seem to be affecting his tennis. Now that doesn't that doesn't really make any difference to, you know, whether you know he's guilty of what he's being accused of or not. I mean, we have absolutely no idea. The accusations have been made and I think it's definitely worth saying that um you know maybe that will be disruptive because he'll be back home in yep. australia yeah. over the off season and you know who knows what the publicity will happen who knows how that is going to progress in terms of that case because it is in court i mean not actually in court right now but as in it's going to court yeah. there will be um a trial and um yeah so it's uh yeah he's definitely got things going on in the background but he has just maintained this focus through the year um 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, hopefully we see the the best of him in Australia. But hopefully, if he is, of course, you know, guilty of anything that he's been accused of, then he's held to account for that as well. I mean, it's difficult because we just don't know what the situation is uh, at all. So we have to wait to see how that plays out. Someone else we're going to have to talk about Australian before and now is Carlos Alcaraz because he's he's a US Open champion. He's a world number one. We have to say that. Keep saying that. Rafa Nadal's world number two. It does sound strange. Sounds like the wrong way around. Carlos Alcaraz just struggling. There'd been a few defeats. He'd been struggling a little bit because I think confirmation that the guy is human and he's adjusting to being a first-time Grand Slam champion and a world number one, which, as we've said many times, is is life changing, isn't it? You know, it's new demands. It's people, every single person wanting a piece of you, every single person wanting to beat you. It's completely different pressures. Yeah, it's very different being a world number one than it is to moving up the rankings. And I've said it so many times, we talked about it with Naomi Osaka, and it's just not very fun. Like, it's just not fun being the number one. You're expected to win the tournament. If you don't, then it's not very good. And if you do, well, you were number one. You were supposed to win the tournament. Well done, you. Uh, And now he's a Grand Slam champion as well. (laughs) But he's got that to deal with as well. He's won a Grand Slam. He's finally... I say finally. It's not like he's been plugging away finally. for a decade. <laughs> My God, it's just rocked up. But he is, um, you know, that. but that, as we saw for Dominic Team, that was a little bit more finally because it had taken a bit longer. But it is such a big thing. You dream of winning a Grand Slam your whole life. And I know that yeah. Alcaraz's expectations are and, and demands are just ludicrous to the point that you just can't even comprehend. You know, he wants to be like Rafa, like Roger, like Djokovic in terms of the titles that, he's winning and he believes that he can and I think we all believe that he can as well um but the reality is is that an awful lot of things have to be in place um it's the uh, you know the, the physical side of it the mental side you know just getting used to the weeks on the tour he's played an awful lot of tennis the more you win the more you're playing the longer you're at tournaments it's all very well rocking up to a tournament playing on the Tuesday and flying home on the Wednesday and then going to another one the next week but if you're playing <laughs> you know Tuesday to Saturday or Tuesday to Sunday every single sometimes it's Sunday so every single week and then you fly to the next one it's it's hard like it it really has a a big impact so I mean who knows which area he's struggling with or whether he's just a bit tired a bit done with the season he's won the USO but he's number one in the world and you know who could blame anyone for going I think I'll have a bit of a breather now I think I want a bit of a break but it's very difficult to do that when you're on the the treadmill that is the schedule um you know and that is why when you look at Federer and Serena they've both just retired at, at 41 the reason they got there is because they made some hard decisions and they upset a lot of people by not playing in a lot of tournaments. You know, I mean, I can't say that Roland Garros was particularly happy when Federer was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fit and healthy, but I'm just not going to play the clay. <laughs> just, just not going to do it. You know, and obviously, he was doing that because of the longevity in his career and trying to... Um, trying to you know extend things and keep himself healthy. And Serena, you know, she wrapped up after the US Open for... A number of years and it, it served her very very well and but it's very hard to make those decisions when you're really young <laughs> and I guess you're really young you've got a team around you and I imagine tournaments are coming to you uh, I'm not being cynical I'm not saying he needs the money but big appearance fees as well I mean can you imagine they're ringing up his agent saying come here 
and he's going to get top billing and he'll get this and he'll get... I mean, again, are you making hay while the sun shines? I guess there's one part of you that wants to make the most of where you're at, but then there's another side. Maybe you should pull back a little bit and just have a little bit of time for it to sink in. I, I don't know which path or if, if there is a... I don't know if there is a right path to choose. I guess it's I guess it's just trying to find a balance. Yeah, I think that there's also... I don't think it's necessarily the appearance fees. I think that's, that definitely plays a part. They are huge. They're often far, far bigger than prize money. Um, but I think sometimes it's just about your contracts with sponsors. As in most most yeah. sponsors who sponsor you as an individual will sponsor events. And they expect to see you at that event. That's where they have all their big wigs. That's where oh, they forget about the, that. If you're yeah. sponsored by Porsche, you've got to go to their events. You know, you're, you're expected to. And some people are contracted to. So you might want to rest. But if you if you pull out that that has implications and it can be financial implications it could just be slightly annoying your sponsors so it's fine to do it once but it's very difficult to keep doing that um you know i think was it was it djokovic oh gosh again well loose facts coming up was it djokovic who <laughs> didn't go he never played tokyo when he was sponsored by uniglo and that was never going to go down well uniglo is a japanese company they have one tournament, it's in Tokyo, you come and you play it. He's obviously being played tens of minutes. And I think he actually, then, he then went after he left <laughs> Uniglo and he was then sponsored by Lacoste and he went to Uniglo. And he did say in one of his press conferences, I always wanted to come, especially seeing as I've been sponsored by a Japanese company, but um, it just never worked out or whatever. But, you know, as I say, when you're Djokovic, and even Alcaraz is world number one, it's still very different dealing with sponsors being Alcaraz than it is being Djokovic or Federer, who do have the ability yeah. to go, yeah, not this time, guys. We'll do it another year or whatever. So there are so many intricate things. You know, an agent doesn't doesn't just sit around and clap in the box and uh, do some big deals. There's an awful lot to manage, and there are a lot of expectations, but. That's the thing when it comes, if you sign 10 major deals, we talked about this with Emma Raducanu, you're going to be giving them a minimum of three days each. Plus there's going to be other stuff, as I say, they'll say, well, we ex Porsche expect you to come to Stuttgart. I think they sponsor Stuttgart, don't they? I don't know. A German tournament. <laughs> They're going to expect you there. And if everybody's expecting you somewhere, plus you've obviously got the slams and the masters, which you're going to play anyway, all of a sudden you have a very, very busy schedule. It was Iga Svantec who recently, didn't she recently say that she hasn't claimed her Porsche yet because she's um, test driving a few. Wouldn't that be great to work <laughs> out which one will suit her? Because obviously she won a Porsche. And that leads beautifully, beautifully on to the world number one in the women's game, Iga Svantec, who has brought up the issue of of scheduling yeah and it's just there are so many things at play here and i can completely understand where she's coming from i think everybody looks at that and goes that's crazy it's the end of a very long season um and as i say the seasons are too long but the tours need to make money they you know th this is incredibly difficult to to work things out they've also had to not necessarily as an emergency this time because it was before but not this year in terms of find somewhere to host the wta tour finals uh dates have to work and you know look if i was saying in an ideal world i would have said right take the opportunity of pulling out of china and yeah. a lot of those asian tournaments because they're predominantly in china for the women less so for the men um but take the opportunity to bring the wta finals up much 
earlier and the Billie Jean King Cup finals up much earlier and let's all wrap up in October um no not October like let's wrap up even earlier like just a few weeks before because we don't have to go to to China to play those big tournaments and the reason that we had to go to China to play those tournaments was because of the money and when I say had to I remember I interviewed Donna Vekic once and these were her words and she said I was asking her about the rest of the season and she said, yeah, you know, and then, and then we go to Asia and, you know, which no one wants to do, but we've all got to go. Like (laughs) that was sort of her stance. Um, And this was many years ago. Um, And it's because the season is long and that it, it it also feels like an extension of the season because the majors are over and they have some big tournaments in China. The money was absolutely astronomical in terms of what has been invested. That's gone now. And obviously the, you know, so I would say, right, you know, US Open, then play a couple of the European tournaments that have their slots there, and then let's go WTA finals, Billie Jean King Cup, let's wrap it up and give everybody a couple of full months off before they start um, getting back into things again. But it just doesn't work like that. It's a business, it's finances, they need to try and replace that that Chinese money. They can't just go, oh, we've just gonna, we're just going to lose all of that, are we? Because it's not just the WTA losing it. Their job is to create jobs for the players, and they yeah. have to get the investment and get the money. And, okay, everybody loved Guadalajara last year. I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic event. Everybody, um, the amount of journalists that were like, let's just do it here every year. Party atmosphere, <laughs> Margarita was on fire. It was awesome. And sure, it yeah. had a very different feel to Shenzhen. But I think Ash Barty took home $4.6 million dollars for winning in Shenzhen in 2019. And I think Garbinia Muguruza would have won, a, I, I believe it might have been like $300,000. So you cannot, as in, by saying that, you're just basically saying the players are going to earn less money. And I know that there's always a balance. Yeah. It's always. I'm not saying we should go back to China. I'm just saying that, as I say, it, it's just very easy to make statements and go, we should do this, we should do this. But it's incredibly complicated and they do have to weigh things up. And also the Billie Jean King Cup is run by the ITF, which is not, they, they don't run the WTA finals. The WTA finals is run by the WTA. We have a very fractured framework when it comes to governing bodies. And whilst they will be considerate of each other, they don't, they're not going to move um, sort of explicitly for one another. The Billie Jean King Cup finals is always followed on after the WTA Tour finals, and that's how it works. Um, but yeah, as I say, they of course they communicate and they do work together, but I, I don't know. It's it's just the way it is, and I think the WTA Tour Tour will be going well if Iga doesn't isn't able to play Billie Jean King Cup, then so be it, because they want her at the Tour finals, and the ITF will be saying a similar thing. So I don't know. There's no there's no easy solution really. No, there's there's not enough weeks in the year, as we've seen many times, to fit in the, the tennis calendar. We've also already seen the exhibitions in December and the players signing up for the exhibitions and they'll be very well funded. And, and you don't blame players for wanting to be part of those and, and to accept those fees and, and, and get that money. You know, I... It, you cannot begrudge anyone if someone's saying, come here and we're going to give you whatever it is to play this one match against this one person. You're going to take it, right? I, I can't see many people wouldn't. So I understand that there are people who say, well, they've got time and they can have this rest. But at the same time... It's not time. It's barely any time. But they're it's individual contractors, as we've talked about. And if someone's saying, you don't know what's going to happen next week. You don't know when an injury is going to strike. You don't know when something's going to come up. So someone says, come to Abu Dhabi or wherever or come to wherever and we're going to give you this much money and I understand them going. So it's 
is finding that balance. They want to represent their countries. Of course they do. The WTA finals is the, the carrot of, of the money and the prestige there. And it, it's very difficult to fit it all in. And, and for the Billie Jean King Cup final, so losing Igor Świątek's a big blow for the competition of Poland. But, you know, we might, maybe, have we lost Emma Raducanu? She's got a wrist injury now. I believe we're speaking on, what day is it? Thursday. I believe Anki Othvang announces possibly on Monday, the team. Yeah, Is it Monday? yeah. So that's, it's also interesting. Know. Just going back to Eager in the the choice, right? You've got the choice between the WTA Tour Finals and the Billie Jean King Cup, and yep. I don't think anybody would make the other choice. But it's also just it's a little bit of a a statement, isn't it? Of like, well, of course I can't play Billie Jean King Cup because I'm in the WTA Tour Finals. So it just in terms of the status of the events that are happening. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, Emma's injured again. She a wrist injury this time. It's always something different, as I say, because it's niggles, so it's, it just sort of travels around Does that the body. Make it, it seems. Is that better or worse? Do you see what I mean? Is it is it better than it's lots of different bits rather than if it was just one thing that yes, kept yes. going wrong? Yes, much better. You don't want something chronic because it will turn into a major injury. And as I was saying uh, in the pod either last week or the week before, um, you know, the one thing that you can say that she's done incredibly well is that she has not got seriously injured in her first full year on the tour. And she has done that. However, you know, some people might think that she's gone about it the wrong way or whatever, but ultimately mm. she's had niggles. She hasn't been able to play, but She's not been out for months on end, as we have seen plenty of players um, do, particularly in their follow-up year to such a, an incredible result like that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely much better because it, it's, it, it just means it's minor. You know, if it's you know a bit in yeah. the wrist, it's just a bit okay. sore, yeah. it's a bit here, it's a bit there, it's blisters this time. And that is definitely a better situation to be in than to go, my shoulder just keeps keeps causing me problems because that long term is a much bigger issue you're gonna to have to look at changing your technique you're gonna to have to look at you know potentially later down the line surgical interventions because you're gonna end up with a really serious injury so next week we'll we'll have those nominations the Billie Jean King Cup finals we'll be closer to knowing who's going to be in the WTA finals and the ATP tour finals there's a handful qualified more places up for grabs but we know where we're going to do our either tennis outside broadcast or Christmas party or summer party or whenever, because we're going to go to Riga. We're going to go to Riga? We, well, <laughs> I was very confused <laughs> as to what you were saying there. Uh, are we going to go to Riga? Yes, yes, this is the recirculation of the Ostapenko advert for Riga. She wants us to come to Riga. I'm if she, sold. If she's going to be there, I'm going as well. Riga looks lovely. Even if she's not, it looks fabulous. I mean, I don't think there'll be quite as many tennis balls around when we go to Riga. And if you haven't seen it, YouTube, Ostapenko, Riga. I think it's pretty, because it's so, what I love about Ostapenko is it's her she it's her personality in that piece it's I just love how forthright how frank she is how up and down she is I think she's great yeah she's she's awesome isn't she unapologetically her at all times which is not an easy thing to do even in the advert they put in her very distinctive grunt because she (laughs) she sort of grunts before she hits the ball and you know and I think I think she's able to sort of poke fun at herself a little bit which yeah, I, I, I think is a is a good quality. She also laughs at happens. her opponents, which I think happened this week on court. <laughs> there was yeah. something happened when she's... She tends to just... I don't know. She She's having a good time. 
like in Birmingham this year when in her post-match interview she said, yeah, well, she was rubbish. And if I'd played well today, I would have beaten her. I was and like, I wish Ooh. we had more of that. I wish yeah, we had I, more I of do. that. I do. Because, you know, she, she is just being honest. And when I spoke to her a few weeks later about it, she was like, I'm glad I said it. And of course I'm going to say it because it's me. So yeah, if we ever believes. manage... If we ever manage to take tennis on the road, it's hard enough finding time to do this remotely. But if we ever find time and a budget, we're going to go. For a world go. tour. Okay. For a world I'll start t- planning. Wow. World tour. <laughs> I was just saying Riga. Okay. Um, but now you've got to get ready for a Strava, not in a Strava. Yes, and it's got to go. it's tennis day for the boys. So I've got to find tennis rackets because I think we've lost them since last week Um, so it's been a pleasure thank you for the fascinating fact at the start of the pod I'm now the first person I see I'm going to whether they want to know or not I'm going to tell them about Max yeah I think that it's definitely needed and get practicing (laughs) with a butter knife oh yeah okay I'm going to do that as well (laughs) see ya see ya